0: continue with our teaching on spiritual authority and accountability. We were been going on Wednesday nights with this and we're gonna hopefully the Lord allows us to finish this today or either on next Sunday. Uh, spiritual authority and accountability. That's not a sexy title. <laughs> uh, when you first hear it it's not like how to get your new wealth package or how to do whatever. But Spiritual thought and accountability, I've discovered, is something that is missing in the church today, and because of our lack of understanding of of this issue, it's hindering the effectiveness of the local church, amen? And God left this, the, the universal church and the local church here, to be effective in the earth realm. When you go back and you trace the early history of the church in the book of Acts, you discover that the early church had significant impact on the culture and the community in which they existed. Can I get a witness? And so Uh, Rather than looking, as I've always encouraged you not to do, rather than looking for the political system to to make a change in our communities, rather than waiting on uh, the governor or the mayor or the police chief to change all of the debauchery that's going on in the community, the church ought to be at the forefront of change in our communities. Because Jesus Christ left us here for that very express purpose, amen, to effect change in the earth realm. He wants us as a church to walk in authority and in power here in the earth and to begin to affect kingdom change, amen, wherever we may be. So let's look at this text here, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and start reading at verse number 15, and we'll go down to verse 17, and we'll pick back up with spiritual authority and accountability. The Bible says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus Christ a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. It says, let us offer a continual sacrifice, right? Continual means that uh, I should be in a constant state of offering a sacrifice of praise to God. The text says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those who are in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. It's one of the reasons why we're doing Lend a Hand is because We want to share. We want to share with those who are in need. We want to do good towards those who are in need. Amen. Because if God blesses us, he blesses us to be a blessing. And so as a result, we want to pour into the lives of others who need some help. Can I get a witness? And so verse 17 says this. Let's read together. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow, that will certainly not be for your benefit, can I get a witness, okay? So obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, uh, and they are accountable to God, accountable to God. Now, when we start this this series off, we talk about the fact that the general definition of accountability means to be answerable to someone. Everybody say answerable answerable to someone based on uh, prescribed guidelines of responsibility to be answerable to someone. How many of y'all uh, have places of employment that, that you go to on a daily basis, Monday through Fridays or whatever that your work schedule? How many of y'all have a job? Let me, you know, you You working. Some of y'all may be retired now, but to me, if you were, how many of y'all are retired? You used to work. You know what work is all about. Let me see your hands on all my retirees in the house. Let's give that for the retirees in the house. Amen. Amen. Thank God you put your time in. Can I get a witness? And, it, and some of y'all put 30 years in, and 45 years, and on down the line, amen. But you put your time in, Sister Henry. I remember when you used to be at the uh, at the elementary school cooking, and those rolls. I still smell those rolls, dinner rolls. That time, I, anybody remember those good lunches when they used to cook food? And you were out there for a number of years, 30 years until you retired, amen. But y'all, you you guys know what it means to go to work. And you also know what it means to be accountable to someone in your place of employment, correct? And and, and if you expect to receive that that, that, that monetary uh, paycheck at the end of the week or the month or whatever, you must learn how to be accountable to those whose authority you submit yourself under, under by saying, I want to come work here. Can I get a witness? Is, is everybody still with me? So, so we understand accountability in the workplace. Uh, A lot of times we understand it somewhat in the home, but but sometimes that's questionable. Uh, But I, I submit to you that in the church, there is a devoid of understanding about spiritual accountability, physical accountability in the life of the local church. And so what we want to do is get some good understanding so that we don't be confused about what our responsibilities are. So we want the church to be effective, and it cannot be effective if if we are not falling in line with God's will for our life. We said, we talked about biblical authority and accountability. We said all the members of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equally God, yet there is a line of accountability. The Bible talks about the fact that Jesus Christ, amen, uh, Jesus, God the Son, Amen. Gave up the privileges of deity to be born in a manger in Bethlehem and he submitted himself to the will of the father. We have the son who is equal with God, yet he understands in his role as son, he is submissive to the father. Can I get a witness? In the garden of Gethsemane, father, if there be any other way for this, this mission to be done and accomplished, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. So the son understood that he was subjected to the father. Can I get a witness? The son willingly submitted himself to the authority of the father. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, submits himself to the authority of the son. Can I get a witness? Jesus told his disciples, he says, when I leave, I'm going to send a comforter that's going to come, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth. He's going to remind you and tell you everything that I've told you. So the Holy Spirit is submitted to the Son. So if the Godhead understands authority, amen, and accountability, we should begin to understand authority and accountability. Now on Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that, that, that one of the goals of biblical authority and accountability is in the church is to establish and reflect the rule of God on Earth through the church. Society will not understand the rule of God unless the church mirrors it and reflects it in their everyday lives, right? We quote this every Sunday. We say we want to become what? Disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God. And we want to have kingdom impact where? In our homes, in our schools, on our jobs, and in the community at large. And the last thing that we quote every Sunday is what? We will do what? Reflect our faith. We we're going to reflect that means that we want to we want to show it. Our faith, what we believe in, needs to be reflected in our everyday life. We're going to reflect our faith and lead others into a personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we want to become, right? So we want to so, but but what we got to realize is that the biblical authority is to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church, not the government. God's rule on earth will not be conveyed through the government. It's going to be through the church. The church is the one institution that God placed here in the earth realm in order, amen, for his will to be reflected. And so we got to do a good job of that, amen? At EBC, I want to do a good job of reflecting the rule of God in the earth. We also said the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is to assure that the church order is maintained. And we went on and shared some other things, but I want to jump into this next section here because it's real important. Um, with that, I, one of the things I've discovered is, is that sometimes I think that we are blinded because of the veil of deception, and we don't understand how important it is for each one of us. Uh, to to submit ourselves to the rule of God, to spiritual authority and accountability. And so there's a veil of deception that actually takes place in the lives of many people. And so as a result, we don't understand uh, what God's will is for our life and we don't submit ourselves. How in the world could it be that we have people in the church who say, I'm born again, I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior, yet consistently, amen, disobey what God's word says? I'm going to share with you something that happens and how, why that takes place. Go with me right quick uh, to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Let's go to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, and we're going to um, talk about accountability in this particular discourse of Scripture. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 1. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, verse number 1. It rests spiritual authority and accountability. It's something that we have to, if we're going to be a church, that's really having kingdom impact, we're going to have to begin to get an understanding of and submit ourselves to it, okay? Now, here we're going to see a a little glimpse into the life of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And, and, And when we look at his life, it's going to give us a picture of what happens when a person refuses to be accountable to the revealed will of God in their life. It's going to give you an illustration of what happens when a person flirts with or walks consistently in a pattern of disobedience. Because how many of y'all will admit that even in your own life and even in the life of others within the church, there are times when we discover that people are walking in disobedience. Have you ever walked in disobedience since you've been saved? I mean, be honest. We're not proud of it uh and certainly we don't we don't we don't uh, uh go around announcing it yeah I, I, yeah I'm, I'm walking in disobedience area no you know but but it happens and so what god wants us to do is to turn our attention back toward him so that we're not walking in a pattern of disobedience so so we see saul's life here we're going to see what happens when someone refuses to do what god's word says first time you're 15 and one Are y'all there Come on, let's read together. The text says what? One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from whom? So who's talking here? Samuel, the prophet, the man of God. The man of God, the prophet of God said, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. Verse number two, let's read together. The text says what? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared, I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amal- Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. How many of y'all? How many of y'all have understood in your life that God is the one who brings vengeance? The Bible says vengeance is God says vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. And and we as a body of believers should stop trying to get people back when they've done something to us. Right? Watch what the text says. He says, now go, this is God's God's revenge coming forth because God knows what's just. We don't know what's just, God does. The text says, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Is that what he told him? Can we read it out loud? Back at the verse three, one more time. Back at the verse three, watch it. Let's read it out loud and on purpose. He says, now go and smite, Go and com- smite or completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Is that what he told them? Did y'all see that? Right. That's what he told them. Destroy it all. Now, now, when we look at this, watch, we're going we're to go down, and some of y'all know this story, but when we go down, we look at uh, Samuel's life, we're going to see some hidden keys that's that's within the corrective word that the Lord spoke to him. that I think can help us in our walk with the Lord. Uh, If we we allow it, listen to me carefully, if we allow it, this understanding can strengthen us even today and his failure can be our warning. How many of y'all believe in learning from others' failures? I do believe that. I believe that we, again, I don't want anybody to fail, but if you do fail, I want to learn something from it. Amen? I don't want to do the same thing and, and, and have the same results. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, and, and just listen to Romans 15 and 4. Write it down, and you can look it up when you get home. Romans 15 and 4 from the KJV says, says, For whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's what it says, Romans 15 and 4. He says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, in other words, we have biblical accounts of what happened to the nation of Israel, we have biblical account of what happened to the early church, we have a biblical account of what happened in the life of the churches that Paul oversaw through the Holy Scriptures, and the Bible tells us that all those things were written so that it can help us to live our life a better way. Can I get a witness? As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10 chapter verse number 11 says, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And I will submit to you that we're living in the last days. We, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that we are the generation that shall see the coming of the Lord. And so since we're in the last days, since we see all of the debauchery and all of the craziness that's happening here in the earth realm, all of the deception that's going on in the world, uh, is it any wonder that an antichrist could come now and deceive the whole world? Is it any wonder now that an antichrist can tell a lie and it be believed by a bunch of folks? Are you understanding what's happening now? See, we live in an information age, so much so, that somebody in Israel or somebody in in, in South Africa can hear the same message at the same time that we hear it. And so when a messenger sends a message, and it's a message of deception, uh, that deception can quickly spread throughout the whole earth. So when we look at this thing, let's, let's watch this. Read with me, if you will, in 1 Samuel 15. Let's go over to verse number 10. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 10. Talk about the veil of deception that happens. And I believe there's a veil of deception, uh, not only in this country, but there's a veil of deception in the church. And we're going to see how that veil of deception happens, even in our own lives, if we're not careful. Because we want to walk on the spiritual authority and accountability. Verse number 10 says what? Let's read. Then the Lord said to Samuel, verse 10, let's go. It let's says what? I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. Who made Saul king? God did. He says, I'm sorry to have made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Is that what it says? Let's read on. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Now watch this, verse number 13 says what? When when Samuel finally, what? Found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Now watch this now. In verse three, God told the prophet, the man of God, to tell the king of Israel to destroy Amalekite. Uh, all the Amalekites and everything that, that's in there every living thing destroyed all. Now here we see where in verse 10 what God said it's because if he says it repented me that I have established Saul as, as king. And so now Saul is saying that listen I did exactly what God told me to do but there's a difference of opinion here. Can I get a witness? We see that the command that God gave him in verse 3 was direct and very specific right? Nothing am. Amalek possessed, whether human or animals, was to be left alive. Everything was that was breathing was supposed to be destroyed. But, 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 but Saul. Saul Saul's response was he. Paul. Saul. When when God gave him that command, Saul didn't say, "Well, I, I don't want to do that." Did he say that? No, he didn't. He didn't say, uh, "I think that's too harsh." No, Saul just went and said, "Okay, I'm gonna take care of business." Right. But, 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 but we see here that. Saul didn't do exactly what God told him to do. How many of y'all know that when you do 99% of what God said do and leave the other 1% undone, you still are disobedient? How many of y'all ever had somebody say this before? Well, you know, um, dog, I cleaned up the whole house, and now you came into the utility room, and you, you're going to just focus on what I didn't do. If the, if the assignment was to clean the whole house, then when you don't clean the utility room, you didn't do the assignment. Any parents in the house that have children who, who throw the clothes in the closet? Hello? Repeat after me. Say partial obedience is disobedience. Now, now again, he did just about everything that God told him to do. But what, one thing he did, he kept the king alive. And another the thing that he did was he kept all the best stuff. The stuff that was good, you know, the best animals, the gold and all that. Because customarily, when God gave victory to his people, he would allow them to take the spoils of war. In other words, to the victor goes what? The spoils. If you win, you get to take your enemy's best stuff. And that was customary. But in this instance, God said, I want you to destroy everything. But when he he did not destroy everything, guys, he put himself in a position of disobedience. Saul can he killed tens of thousands and spared that, the the king. He did 99.9% of what God says, but that other point percent was disobedience. And when you walk in disobedience, guys, it, it what we what we do when we walk in disobedience is we take ourselves out from under the, the authority of God's word. Can I get a witness? Now watch this. Let's move this a little bit further because I want to share a couple of things with you because I think it's helpful for us to understand what happens and why it is that we can be in church. And you can be sitting there hearing the word of God and then not do the word of God and then still feel okay about yourself and your walk with the Lord. What happens is we begin to be deceived in our disobedience. How do we account for this vast difference of opinion between what God said the night before and what Saul believed in his heart? Because look at verse 13 again with me right quick. Are y'all there? Let's watch it. We're talking about spiritual authority and accountability. How many of y'all ever done something that worked and that maybe the person who you were accountable to in your supervisor said, okay, that's good, but I would want you to do it this way. Have anybody ever had somebody correct something that you did? How do you receive that? Are, are, are you, do you receive uh, correction very well? In, anybody in the house? I, I need some head to be nodded because if you don't, then there's something wrong with your your walk with the Lord. Because, see, if if you hadn't learned how to receive correction done the right way, there's some pride on the inside of you. Even in the church sometimes when you try to correct people, they get upset. Because you say, okay, that's good, but I didn't want it done that way. Let's do it this way the next time. Guys, we got to learn how to receive, amen, correction. We got to learn how to see the word of God. But watch this right quick. so the difference between uh, what, how Samuel viewed, himself, viewed the situation because he got a word from God and how Saul viewed it is different. But I want you to look at, let's go to James 1 and 22 right quick. Let me show you what was happening here in this text, James 1 and 22. This is what was happening because Saul, Saul was kind of gleeful. I told you to read verse 13. I'll read it for you while, you, while you're going to James 1 and 22. Uh, verse 13 says, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That's what Saul said. I'll perform the commandment of the Lord. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I did what God told me to do. But yet Samuel was coming with a roar of rebuke from God. Look at what the text says in James 1 and 22. Y'all there? Let's read it together. It says what? Don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Is that correct? You must do what it says. Now watch this. Look at, look at the latter part. I want you to key in on this because this is what I want to talk about. The veil of deception occurs in our life when we enter into this state right here. Don't just listen to what God's word says. You must do what it says. Otherwise, what what's happening? You're only fooling yourself. The KJV says you're deceiving your own self. When you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, you are deceiving your own self. The moment that a person disobeys the word of God that's been clearly revealed to him, here's what happens. A veil goes over his heart and that veil distorts and it obstructs, how you see things. The moment you get a word, I don't care what that word is, if that word is tithing, if that word is husband loving your wife like Christ of the church, if it's wife submitting yourself to your own husband, if it's, if it's uh, about loving your neighbor as yourself, if it's about praying for those who despitefully use you, when you get a clear cut word from God and you disobey that word, at that moment, the Bible says you enter into a state of self-deception you begin to fool your own self. A veil goes over your heart and that veil is going to color how you see everything. It's called deception. Everybody say deception. See, Saul was deceived in his reasoning and he was confident that he did the right thing, guys, when in reality, he was wrong. He... His belief conflicted, amen, with God's reality, even though it might agree with human reasoning. Because most humans will say, well, he come on, but pastor, get a man a break. He did just about everything that God told him to do. And he just he left one person alive and he took some good stuff. What's wrong with that? Well, there's everything in the world wrong with that because God told him to destroy it all. See, sometimes in our own lives, we'll do that very same thing. We'll, we'll go to human reasoning and we'll discard what God's word says. Saul was deceived, amen, and and, and he was, that veil had come over his heart. So, so, but Pastor, what are you trying to get to? Um, and, and, and by the way, this wasn't the first time that, that Saul had been rebuked by Samuel. You go back to the 13th chapter, you see the very same thing happening. But that veil of deception comes over our hearts when we know what the word of God says, but we won't do it. That veil of deception causes us not to be able to see things clearly. And then when we don't see things clearly, then how can we possibly submit ourselves to the spiritual authority and the accountability that God wants us to be un- upon in the church? It will not happen, guys. Now, now, how many of y'all remember? I want you all to think back. How many of y'all remember when you first got saved? Anybody remember when you first got saved? Especially if you got saved as an adult. When you first got saved, do you remember how it felt when you first sinned? Do, do, do you remember how... How convicted you were when you sinned. Come on, come on, come on. Can y'all go back with me? How many, first of all, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all are here saved? And know you are. I mean, in other words, you've invited Christ into your heart as as your personal savior. You received him. So I can remember when I when I first got saved and I was really serious and I knew that I, that I really accepted Christ. When I did something wrong, man, it it convicted me. I felt, I felt Lord in a snake's belly. I I felt, man. I just felt horrible. Uh, in the word of Carl Jones, "Ain't it awful?" <laughs> I felt I felt awful <laughs> when, when I sinned, uh, and, but guess what? The second time, or the third time, or the fourth time, when you sin, that conviction was not quite as strong. It was not quite as deep. And and and, and gut wrenching as it was the first time after you got saved, and so what's happening is when 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 it gets to be less and less, it's because that veil of deception comes over our hearts and we begin to rationalize it. Well, it, it wasn't that, it was you know okay it, it wasn't that bad. Well, you know what uh, uh, I, uh, the reason why I cussed you out was because you made me mad. Now I'm rationalizing my cussing you out. How many of y'all have ever rationalized cussing somebody out before? Okay, let's, let's see. Hey, see, some of, some of y'all, I, I want some truth tellers in the house today. You, I, I told them at the, at the marriage fellowship, I'm tired of cussing Christians. I'm tired of Christians demeaning their walk with the Lord by saying stuff in a, in, in a derogatory manner that, 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 that really doesn't give God honor. You know what, you ought ought to be smart enough, there's enough words in the dictionary, huh, that you can study the dictionary and be able to talk without cussing. And be able to express yourself the way you want to express yourself and let somebody know that you mean it without using profanity. I feel that we have a lot of people in here who cuss. I sense it in my spirit, and some of you cuss so you don't think anything's wrong with it. Come on, pal. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you a cusser? I just, just I just want to know. I, I want to know. I want to know. You, you, you got to ask them. Come on. Can we be real? Can we be real? Look at the other one. Say, say I, I don't want to tell you to your neighbor. I want you to do the same. Say, say neighbor, neighbor, is cussing a part of your regular talk? Okay, answer them, answer them, be truthful. And if it is, just lay hands on them right now. Lay hands on them right now. Lay hands on them. Lay hands on them. Hey, God, the Bible says that the words that come from our mouths should be good for the use of edifying and building people up. That's what the word says. So when I, as a believer, begin to speak derogatory words toward anybody, especially using profanity, I am killing my testimony. I am I am putting myself in a position that anything else that comes out of my mouth is going to be diminished because i I said something crazy before I try to tell you about Jesus. Are y'all with me? So so, so so what happened is, when, you know, what we'll do is we'll justify our cussing because we, we say you may be mad. I mean, and, and people, people of I don't know what's happening in this country now, but people are, are, are spearing such hateful, demeaning words. And even if they're not cussing, they're still using hateful, demeaning terminology toward other people. And we as a church have to be that salt. In, uh, uh, that, that adds some flavor to this this, this nasty-tasting world. we got to be that light in a dark place, amen? Because God desires for the church to be the, the instrument and the tool that he uses to affect change in the earth. Around. But that will not happen if we don't submit ourselves to spiritual authorities. Because so I just gave you a word that told you that if you are cussing, that you're out of the will of God. So now, what you going to do with that word? What are you going to do with that word that says that as a member of EBC— I'm misrepresenting my church when I talk that way. When I talk in a derogatory term. When, I, when my words are not uplifting. Can I give y'all some Bible? Because some of y'all look at me like, what is he talking about? Go with me to Philippians right quick. Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4. Can I help somebody? Glory to God. Go with me right quick to uh, Philippians 4 and 8. I, I want to just share this with you right quick. Um, if we're going to submit ourselves to spiritual authority and we're going to be accountable to one another, then that means that we've got to learn how to check each other. You know what it means to check somebody? That means that if we're in a relationship together, if I see you Walking outside the will of God, then I have a right, as your brother and sister in Christ, to say, "Hey, man, you're outside the will of God. Let me pray for you. Let's get back on, on track." And you have the same right to to tell me that, "Hey, brother, you're outside the will of God. Let's get back on. Let's pray. And let's get back on track." Right? Amen. Y'all, you do realize that, right? We are our brothers and sisters' keepers, correct? So, 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 if you're a member of this church. And you're in relationship with other church members, then if you're outside the will of God as a church member, then we ought to speak to each other, speak truth to each other, and encourage each other to do what's right. Now, if you're sitting there and you get mad when people tell you that stuff, then something's wrong with your heart. There's a veil of deception that has covered your heart. Because James 1 and 22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And when you, when you, when you are hearers and not doers of the word, then what he says is you deceive your own self. That means that you're in a state of self-deception when you hear what the word says, come on, but you won't do what the word says. So that means that you're in deception. And that's why Saul, could, he was in a state of deception. That's why he could say, bless be the name of God. I've done what the Lord has commanded when he actually hadn't done what the Lord commanded. He did part of what God told him. But he didn't do the full thing. And that's the thing that we as Christians got to get away from doing half of what Jesus said and make the whole word, the full counsel of God, should be the thing that we submit ourselves unto. So, Philippians, the fourth chapter, watch this right quick. Because when you start to focus on the right thing, I believe you begin to talk about the right things. Look at what Philippians 4 and 8 says. Paul tells the church at Philippi. Watch this right quick. Okay? Um, He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, One final thing. Look at what it says. Can we read it out loud on purpose? It says what? Fix your faults on what is true and honorable and right and what? And pure and lovely. Cussing is not lovely and pure and admirable. Think about things that are what? Excellent and what? And that are worthy of praise. In other words, my focus has—it can't be on all the negativity that's happening in this world. Yes, acknowledge it. Yes, know what's going on. But I can't get dialed in to all the negativity to the point that where it's changing my demeanor. Some of y'all walk around like you're just mad, just looking like this the whole time because you—you're you, soaking in so much negativity. Guys, don't let the news change your outlook on life. We are born-again believers. We know that in the end, the Bible says we're going to win. So if I know I got victory in Jesus, all the craziness that's going on ain't going to steal my joy. Because I serve a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. According to the power that worketh in me, see, I'm going to walk with Jesus, and I'm going to be happy. I am not going to walk around here all depressed because of what's happening in this world. Ever say spiritual authority and accountability? So, 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 guys, you know, uh, so if we focus on the right thing, and the Bible even said this, it talks about you know, speak, speak, speak words that that, that lift people up, not tear people down. Amen. Are y'all with me? But that won't happen if you're deceived with that veil over your heart. That veil happens when you hear word, but don't do word. And you begin to rationalize your own actions as be it being okay. That's what Saul was doing. Saul said, I've done what the Lord has commanded, yet he had not done. And he was going to be removed because he disobeyed God. Now, let me let me, let me show you what, what happens in the life of a believer when they uh, uh, consistently walking in disobedience because I told you this wasn't the first time that Samuel dealt, dealt, dealt with Saul but here, that God will take us through a process he has a three step process for dealing with us when we are walking in disobedience when we are hearing the word but not doing the word he'll take us through a, a progressive process in order to, to reach us in our state of disobedience I want to ask you a question are, are there some things in your life, this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to raise your hand, but are there some things in your life that you're consistently disobeying and you know what God's word said about that issue? Are there some things that that are, that are really, uh, uh, you know, uh, taking you outside the will of God and you know it and you, you we've taught on it uh, and, uh, you know, but you continue to do that? I mean, things that you may think, well, it's it's insignificant. It doesn't really, it's not a big deal, but but yet in the sight of God, it is a big deal because Saul did 99% of what God says, but the 1% disqualified him from leadership. Are y'all listening to me? See, see, what what God says is my word has to become so important to you that, that you take it fully and completely and obey all of it and not part of it. So what God will do is, when we are in a state of disobedience, and, and whatever that disobedience is, he has a process that he'll take us through to try to reach us in our disobedience. Why does he try to reach us? Because he loves us, and he wants us in his presence. So, so here, here's the first thing he'll do. First of all, if we're in a state of disobedience and not doing what God told us to do, first of all, he will always, first of all, try to reach us through conviction. Everybody say conviction. Conviction. What is conviction? That means when when the Holy Spirit deals with our heart, okay? If, uh, you know, it, when we're in a place where we repeatedly disobey and in a place where we, you know, we've lost touch with our heart and our directives from God, then then sometimes it's hard for that conviction to come. But conviction is when, 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 when you did something wrong and man, it hits you right there in the gut. You know you were wrong. You know you messed up. That conviction comes. But how many of you know you can sin for so long that conviction won't even prick your heart any longer. The Bible says that's, that's called a reprobate heart, a reprobate mind. In other words, you become rep- so reprobate in your thinking that even when conviction tries to come, you don't feel anything. Because you did wrong so long that that veil of deception has gotten real thick. And you can come to church and still hear word, but then it doesn't affect you in your daily living. That's why we have people who come to church, they look great in church, but you follow them on on Monday through Saturday, they're doing all kinds of debauchery because the veil of deception is there. Second thing that happens, so he he sends conviction first. Then the second thing that God will do, God will send a a prophetic messenger like he did to Saul. He'll send someone a prophetic message through someone. And I happen to be your prophetic messenger here on Sundays and on Wednesdays. So, so God sent a prophetic word to reach you who cuts. I don't know why it's in my spirit, but it's in my spirit today. He's, he's, he sent a prophetic word to you who use profanity to let you know that you're ruining your testimony. That you, you, you're making it hard for anybody to believe that you really got a solid commitment to God just because of the way you speak. Because of your demeanor. Because of your meanness. Okay. So the second thing he does is he sends a prophetic messenger. So you got a prophetic messenger in your pastor, okay? So every time I preach, and I show you the word of God, what the word says, and then you refuse to obey that, then God, God will take you to the next level, okay? So first he does what? He sends what? Conviction. Conviction. Second thing he sends is what? A prophetic messenger, your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, your men's ministry leader, your women's ministry leader—he'll even send uh, that 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 friend or that accountability partner, huh—to to to speak a word to you. But if you don't listen to the conviction, if your heart is so so hard that you won't you can't be convicted, if you won't listen to the message, the third thing he does is God will attempt to reach you through judgment. Everybody say judgment. Go to First Corinthians 11, chapter, right quick. Through judgment, First Corinthians 11, chapter. Okay, everybody say, spiritual authority and accountability. What I'm getting at, guys, is if the word of God doesn't mean enough to us to where we will submit ourselves to it, when we see it clearly and plainly explained, then we have a problem with our faith. We have a problem in our faith. Whenever you can see the word of God, and I'm gonna tell you something. This culture and society that we're living in now, people don't believe that the Bible is God's revealed word. And there are people who, who don't think that they should govern their lives. They think it's about the word of God. They think it's a good book, but you know what? I'm living my life the way I live it, amen? I'm living it the way I'm living it, and, 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 and it, I'm gonna do me. See, it ain't about doing you. It's about letting God have his way in your life. Now watch this again. Uh, First Corinthians, the 11th chapter, watch what the text says. Are y'all with me? First Corinthians, chapter 11, verse number 31. Go to verse number 31. Hallelujah. First Corinthians, eleven chapter, verse number 31. Glory to God. The text says, but if we do what? Examine ourselves. We will not be judged by God in this world. Wait Now let's, can, can we back up? Let's back up to verse number 27. Since we took the Lord's Supper today, watch what the text said. Verse number 27. It says, so anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is what? In the blood of the Lord. Next verse says what? 28 says what? That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drink in the cup. Next verse, let's read. It says what? For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Is that what it says? Next verse says what? That is why, watch this. See, in the Corinthian church, it says, that is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even what? died because they were not properly discerning the, the Lord's body. Now, if you go and read the rest of this passage going backwards, they, they had all kinds of things going on in the church of Corinth, and, and some of them were partaking of the Lord's Supper and were not properly discerning the Lord's body. In other words, they were not, they were not recognizing their sin. They were not judging themselves as, as to what they were involved in. And so the text says some of them were sick, some of them were weak, and people died because of their disobedience. I'm telling you, sometimes people die early because they are disobeying God. I'm not saying this in every case, but in some cases, the judgment of God comes and take you out early. If you go back through scripture, you see it time and time again where God's judgment was pronounced. And so what he's saying here is we got to make sure, guys, that we examine ourselves, judge it ourselves. Before God comes and judges, because when God judges it, guess what? He knows how to judge. The root word judge me appears twice in, in this scripture. However, each one of them is a different Greek word. The first one, it says if we would judge ourselves, it's the Greek word diakrino, which means to separate extensively, to separate extensively. Again, this that, that occurs when we examine ourselves thoroughly and remove anything that's that's not of God out of our lives. So in other words, each one of us need to take time instead of looking at everybody else, start looking at our own lives. How many of y'all will admit that it's easier to look at somebody else's stuff than look at your own stuff? How many of you will agree that even all you married folks in here, you know, I, I say this all the time, many times as married couples, it's easy for us to point the finger at our spouse and tell God what's wrong with them Rather than sitting down before God and saying, God, what am I doing wrong? How am I contributing to this messed up situation that we're in right now? We're saved. We, 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 we belong to EBC. We say we love God, but why is our marriage messed up? And, and, and a lot of times what we'll do is we'll point the finger at the other person rather than looking at our own selves. God says, examine yourself to see whether or not everything is okay with you. And quit just pointing at everybody else. Amen? Look at his neighbor and say, neighbor, I got to stop pointing at you, and I got to look at myself. Amen? So so Saul had a veil over his eyes, and he did that which was not in line with God's will. And the veil came because he disobeyed the word of God. Every time we hear word but don't do word, then it's like we, we got something over our face. And we can't see and we can't discern properly. We can't even discern between right right and wrong because we refuse to obey God's will. Amen? Now get back with me right quick. Let's let's go back, if you will. Let's go to 1 Corinthians right quick. Hurry, hurry, and I'll let you get out of here. So Saul had a veil. I want to know how many of you all have a veil over your face right now that's causing you not to be able to see yourself the way God wants you to see yourself. How many of you may be sitting here thinking that I'm all right with God, like Saul did. Saul said, I've I've obeyed the command of God. We're offering sacrifices. But God says, listen, you're wrong because you didn't do what I told you to do. Guys, spiritual authority and accountability is all about being obedient to the revealed will of God in our lives. Whatever that area may be. When God shows us something, then we have to put ourselves in a position to do what we... Uh, are supposed to do or be caught trying. Yes, we'll mess up. But when we totally ignore what God's word says, that puts us in a position where we can't receive God's blessing. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to receive God's blessing. Okay? So go with me right quick to 1 Corinthians the sixth chapter, verse number 12. So 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 with, with that everybody said we we, we, we gotta make sure we get that veil out of our veil off move of our face because we want to be able to see things clearly. Now in the last part of our outline we, we begin to talk about being accountable when making decisions in the gray areas of the Bible. How many of y'all know that's some areas where God gives us liberty of? And so if we're gonna be spiritually accountable, if we're gonna walk in spiritual authority, we gotta learn how to, to, to make those decisions in those gray areas and make it in such a way that it doesn't cause somebody else to stumble and fall. Okay, everybody with me? All right, so so if, if, if there's a gray area, like say for instance, in, in the book of Romans, Paul dealt with the, the eating of meats that have been offered unto idols, Right? He dealt with the the, the the saints there and he was letting them know that listen it's okay to eat whatever you want to eat, but sometimes your eating can cause somebody else to stumble and fall. We talked about this on Wednesday night, amen. I don't want to do anything that's gonna cause you to stumble and fall. And God, you know, and 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 I pray that, that I never find myself in a position where I'm doing something that's causing you to stumble and to fall. Amen. But but so there's are some areas where we have liberty. But if our liberty causes someone else to stumble and fall, then we should not take that liberty is what Paul says. Amen. So the first thing I want you to just just make a note of is if there's an area where there's not a black and white scripture on that, then I've got to ask myself, number one, is what I'm getting ready to do? Is it helpful? First Corinthians six chapter verse number 12. And we're going to stop there. First Corinthians six verse number 12. Are you with me? Watch what Paul says as he writes to the church of Corinth. He says, what? Well, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Okay? Y'all got that? I, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. How many of you know everything is not good for you? Everything is not good for you. And so, even though you may have liberty to do a thing, don't do it if it's going to mess you up. Amen. So, so uh, is what I'm about. So, the question I have to ask myself, and you got to ask yourself, is: Is whatever I'm about to do is it helpful to me physically, or will it harm me? Does it help me mentally, or does it tend to get my mind on things that draw me into sin? Uh, does it help me spiritually? Does it help me to grow, or does it hurt my spiritual development? Go to Colossians right quick, third chapter, this is the last scripture. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I got to ask myself the question, is it helpful? Because some things will get your mind in the wrong place. And when your mind gets in the wrong place, then your actions get in the wrong place. Is that right? The devil is about changing our thinking, guys, and he wants to change our thinking so that we can begin to do the things that he wants to do rather than the thing that God wants to do. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, real quick, and we're going to finish up on this. He says this. Who's writing here? What does he say? He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse number two says what? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why? Verse three says what? For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died to this lie. In other words, what Paul is saying is, as a believer, i got to focus on the things of heaven and not just on the earthly things. Too much of our time is spent on the carnal things, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drive, where we're going to stay, how much of this do I have, how much money do I have. All those things are necessary, but our focus should be first on him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added unto us. So where is my focus? If you never talk about spiritual things away from church, then your focus is not on spiritual things. I want you to go home this week and just observe. How many times do we say, here's what God is speaking to me about? Here's what I believe a sense that God is saying to us. Here's what I think God is telling me about myself. If you never have those conversations, then your mind is not on heavenly things. And you will not submit yourself to spiritual authority and you will not be accountable to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Guys, I I, I, I want you to hear me as I close. God loves every last one of you in here. He loves all of us and he wants the very best for us. But if we don't submit to spiritual authority, if we're not accountable to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're going to put ourselves out in a position where Satan will put a veil over our face and our understanding will become darkened and we will not be able to fulfill God's will for our life. Amen? Jesus gave his very best so that you and I could, could could have a fruitful, abundant life. How are you walking? Are you submitting yourself to spiritual authority? Are you willing to be accountable to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Every head bowed right close. Father, we thank you and we praise you for another grand day. Thank you for an opportunity, God. just